Practical Prophetic, where prophetic ministry is made practical. I'm Beth Wingate, I'm your host, and welcome to the podcast. On our podcast today, we are going to talk about your moral compass. In today's age, with woke ideology, postmodernism, seeker-sensitive theology, and models of immoral relativity, I believe having an internal moral compass is one of the most important things you can have. In order to be prophetic, you must be grounded in God's Word, and your morality must be grounded in God's Word. You know, the word hypocrite used to be thrown around, especially in the days of legalism in the church, because there was such extreme legalism in the past. But now, I don't even hear a lot of complaints about hypocrites, because it seems as though the moral standard has begun to decay, even in the modern-day evangelical church. And so I want to look at this idea of a moral compass. But before I do, I want to say a couple of things. So in my Bible study, we've been studying about the kings of Israel when Israel was a kingdom back in your Bible in the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. And we learned something about several of these kings. For example, King Jeroboam, King Ahaz, Ahab and Jezebel. There were so many things about these kings that I found striking dealing with morality. Now, these were kings who were to be over God's people. Remember, Back in the book of Judges, the people cried, give us a king, help us to be like all the other nations. And so God eventually allowed them to have a king. That was not God's perfect will, but it was in his permissive will. So he allows them to have a king. And Saul is chosen as the first king of Israel. Now he had Apparently, he was the ideal candidate. He was tall. He was strong. He was wise. He was handsome. He had everything it took to be a great king. And he ends up failing. Well, when Samuel sets up the system of government at that time on behalf of God, they're given what's called these three crowns of leadership. It's that of the king, the priest, and the prophet, and they were to serve as checks and balances on one another, not very much unlike our system. We have the judiciary, we have the executive branch, and then we have the Congress that makes up both our Congress and Senate, House and Senate. And if you go to a a monarchical system, you look at England, they had the House of Lords, the House of Common, the judiciary, and then they had the crown. And so just like in the days of Israel, these were to serve as checks and balances on one another. Now, the kings oftentimes would begin to take on pagan ideology, and they begin to incorporate paganism gradually, sometimes all at once and sometimes gradually into their society. It says, for example, that King Jeroboam, he builds these two temples in northern Israel in Bethel and Dan, and he even puts golden calves at these two temples. There's two golden calves in Israel during this time because it was inconvenient 
for people to go down to Jerusalem. Also, he didn't want them leaving his country in the north to go down to Judah. And so there was a lot of political motivation as why. And it says he even chose his friends to be in the priesthood. Well, that's not how God designed it, but he broke protocol to do these things. Now, he he had them worship Yahweh God, but he also had them worship these golden calves, the high places, the astra poles. I mean, they were they were doing all these other things that they were not supposed to do, and they were mingling the worship of Yahweh God with these idols and memorials and monuments and all the things and incense, the things that they were not supposed to do, and also not even in the places they were supposed to do it. God told them that the the temple would be in Jerusalem. So there was problems with this. Well, we see this come forward, and especially under Ahab and Jezebel, we see that because she was a foreigner and brought with her her foreign gods, we see that ramped up in the kingdom. And then especially when her daughter princess Athaliah, she then marries the king of the southern kingdom in Judah and becomes the queen in Judah. And then she begins to bring even more idolatry. And so we see this begin to ramp up. Now, Ahaz is very interesting because he goes to Damascus and he sees this big, shiny, pagan altar. And he brings it a replica of it that he had commissioned to have made, and he brings it into the temple, and he pushes aside the altar of Yahweh God, and then he conceals that only to be used up for himself, and then he puts that big, shiny, pagan foreign altar right there to the entrance of the inner court. And so you just see this progression of mingling and mingling and mingling. Now, what's strange is, They were worshiping Yahweh God while they were worshiping all of these pagan gods and memorials and monuments and high places and astra poles. Well, we'll see that when Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, ascends the throne, we have a time of reformation. That's reformation. To reform, to make reforms in the system of both government and within the church of that time of Israel. And so we see that Hezekiah really is the first king in both the, the divided kingdoms of Israel in the north and the south. He will be the first king to actually tear down the high places. Those seem to be like this stubborn sticking point, and I think they represent a form of traditionalism sometimes that we can have in church. And so we see that Hezekiah will tear down the astra poles. It says he cut down the groves. That's what that's talking about. He will take down the high places. He tears down the pagan altars, and then he pulls out of the temple all of these pagan relics and items of worship, and he cleanses the temple, and he reinstitutes the the real priesthood, not the fake priesthood under Jeroboam, but the real priesthood, and he cleans house, so to speak, and he institutes 
nationwide reform, and he makes a law to bring back and institute the Passover to get back to. It's it's beyond a revival. It's a, re- a reformation. And so we see that under Hezekiah, his moral compass was so much stronger. And so let's ask ourselves why. Why did Hezekiah have the moral compass to make these reforms? Well, there's a very easy answer for that. His father, while he was busy doing the things he was doing and worshiping pagan gods on this big, new, shiny altar that he brought in as a replica from Damascus, pushing aside the legitimate altar of God, he allowed Isaiah, the prophet, to be the mentor and tutor for his son, Hezekiah. And so Hezekiah was greatly influenced by the prophet Isaiah. And so that's probably the reason that he was able to institute such drastic reforms. Well, my prayer is in our nation right now, in our many of our churches right now, that we see Hezekiah's rise up, people who have positions of authority and power, uh, whether it be like your governor, whether it be your pastor, whether it be a president or a senator or whatever. I just pray that we have some Hezekiah's come into positions of leadership that will make the appropriate reforms back to the essentials found in God's Word. Well, let's talk a little bit about that moral compass. So first, I have to define what a compass is. I think we all kind of know what one is. And if you're thinking of like uh, someone who was maybe a a soldier in World War II or someone who was a a frontiersman, you know, many, many years ago, and you'll see those in like Western movies, you'll see they have a little pocket compass. It's round and you would flip it up and it would have like a little uh, little thing that you line up and it has a little line in it and you would, you know, wait for the compass to point north. Okay, that's the general idea. Of course, nowadays we just have it on our phone and we use digital compasses, but but you can actually use a real compass and it's actually controlled through magnets, through magnetism. And so I'll really quick want to talk to you about the difference in compasses. So first, let's uh, let's define what a compass is. In the dictionary, it says that a compass is an instrument that you use to point and navigate to the magnetic north. Okay, now let me blow your mind a little bit in case you didn't know this. There are two North Poles. I know we think Santa Claus lives at the North Pole. That's kind of funny. But, but there's actually two North Poles. One is called the magnetic north. That's where your compass will point to oftentimes. And then there's what is called true north. And it's also called geographic north. And it is a fixed location. In fact, if you take a globe and you, you know, you look at those latitude and longitude lines, remember you have um, the longitudes are the ones that go up and down and the latitudes are the ones that go uh, from side to side. And you have the the equator in the middle of those, and then in the uh, the ones that run up and down, that's your longitude, you have the meridian. And so uh, if you took where those lines of longitude all meet and intersect, that's going to be at the fixed geographic north, also called true north. And that is a fixed location. It does not move. However, magnetic north, the magnetic field, can actually move. In fact, over the last 150 years, 
It has drifted almost 800 miles from True North. In fact, uh, if you were to take uh, even today measurements, it could move as much as 300 miles from True North. And so I just thought that was really interesting. So to me, the Word of God is like True North. And our logic, our morality, our truth can often be like Magnetic North. Now, there are times when True North and Magnetic North have lined up. But it's sort of fluid. You know, magnetic north sort of moves uh, because the earth is rotating. There's a lot of science behind that. But but my point is, is that magnetic north is like moral relativity, whereas true north is absolute morality based in God's word. And so that's really the direction I want to go today. And so I just thought I would use the compass as sort of our example. Well, now let's define morality. So morality in the dictionary says what distinguishes the difference between right and wrong. And that which is right would be that which is prudent or that which is proper. And wrong is that which is improper or you could say unacceptable by society or or, or whatever the case may be. You know, we hear people today say uh, that's her truth. You know, this is his truth. She's giving truth to power, you know, and all these phrases, catchphrases that you hear. But let me explain something. Truth is not a verb. You cannot be true thing. There is only truth. Truth is absolute. Truth is. And so that's important to know. Truth is a moral absolute. It is not relative. It is not bending. It is not changing. Uh, One of the definitions for truth is that which is factual. In today's society, people are very driven and motivated and moved and compelled by their feelings versus facts. And so uh, I think Ben Shapiro is famous for saying it's facts over feelings. It's not your feelings. It's facts. And so that's something that he's sort of been marked as saying, and he's absolutely correct in that, you know, your feelings are important, they have their place, but they cannot usurp truth. Truth is absolute, whereas feelings may shift. And let me give you one of the definitions, and I'm sure I've shared this on here before, but one of the definitions of carnal is to be emotion ruled. I believe that our body is made up of flesh, soul, and spirit, patterned after the temple, like an outer court, inner court, and holy of holies. And those of us who are true believers, we are led by our spirit man and by the word of God. The realm of your emotions is that of your soul. And so that that inner court, that mingling between flesh and spirit. And uh, the danger there is some things may seem logical. Some things may seem, uh, you know, true to what you feel. But the word of God is absolute and the word of God is truth. And Jesus is the word. I think I say this almost every podcast, but it's my mission. It's what I'm supposed to be teaching you is that Jesus is the word and the word is truth. And Jesus is truth. And, and, and it's just, it's wonderful once you get that concept, once you get that revelation. There's no way you can share anything prophetically without understanding and being anchored in God's truth. So set your compass, your moral compass, to true north. 
Magnetic North will deceive you. Your feelings will deceive you. Ask anybody who's quote unquote at 15 years old been in love. (laughs) Those feelings can deceive you. Truth is not the same as feelings. And I think I've established that. Well, let's get into some scripture. And then I have a few thoughts to wrap us up with. In Psalms 119 and 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So good, so strong. If we jump down to verse 140, it says, Thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. You know, we have to understand that God's word is true. It is pure. And you need to love God's word. Everything you do, all of who you are has to be centered in God's word. This God's word is the manifestation of Jesus here on the earth. He left this here for us to communicate with us. This is the most primary way that that the Lord is prophetic with us is through his word. We just cannot escape that. We must be grounded, must be grounded in God's word. In John 1, 1, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word. I think I say that when a whole bunch too. If you've been listening any a period of time, you know that's one of my go-tos. The revelation that Jesus is the word of God is foundational. You can never say anything prophetic if you don't have that revelation because anything prophetic is going to be lined up with his word because he is his word and you don't ever want to misrepresent Jesus or his word. So you must have that revelation. In John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Oh, my goodness. We have to have a revelation of how true and just and righteous his word is. Everything we do has to line up with God's word. If, you, if, you're, if you've got a question about anything you're doing, Anything you're thinking, your way of thinking, check the Word of God. Make sure that that you are lined up with the Word of God. It won't work the other way around. That's like that magnetic north versus true north. You've got to be lined up with His Word, the truth of His Word. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to them that put their trust in Him. Oh, how good is that scripture? Let me read that again. Every word of God is pure. Let me read this definition for us concerning biblical morality. It says, The Bible provides patterns of moral reasoning that focus on conduct and character in what is sometimes referred to as virtue ethics. One of the warnings that the Bible gives concerning morality and ethics is that the Bible condemns those who subvert God's word by calling good evil and evil good. And I think we can all agree that I have seen that displayed in culture within the last few years. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of that morality getting very specific when we talk about go to God's word to find your moral compass. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus teaches us that there's basically two things, two things that sort of govern us. It's to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. That's found in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Now, let me explain, too, that there are some things in the Old Testament that are still in effect, one of those being the Ten Commandments. And I just want to sort of remind us 
of these Ten Commandments, just just as a refresher, just as a reminder. Uh, Number one, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain. And I would love to maybe do a whole side teaching on that because some people have a misconception of what blasphemy is. Although we should not be cussing and associated with God's name, it actually means people that misrepresent God's word. Uh, Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. There again, we're not going to argue over if it's Saturday or Sunday. Just set aside a day to keep it holy unto the Lord. Number five, honor your father and mother. Uh, Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In fact, in the King James, that's called tailbearing, and uh, T-A-L-E, and I I believe we did a whole podcast on tailbearing. And then number 10, you shall not covet. And so that connects to envy. By the way, jealousy means you want what someone else has. Envy means you not only want what someone else has, but you want to destroy them in the process. And so that's a a deeper topic as well. These are still in effect. Now, if we go to the New Testament and we look at Galatians, Ephesians, uh, we look at the fruits of the Spirit, uh, it gets so much more specific. There's, There's everything covered in there in your New Testament. And so... You know, I would encourage you to go in and read the Word of God for yourself. Get you a, you know, Google a study on Christian living and and morality. And so I'm talking about, though, being anchored in God's Word. If you want to know what God's Word says, you're going to have to get in His Word for yourself. And we have to be anchored to truth. And there are some truths today that don't line up with what society is saying. Society has taken a a radical position here in the last few years with regards to things that God strictly prohibits. And so we need to be aware of what God's Word says. And I just want to encourage us to be uh, have our compass set to true north, not just to magnetic north. And so you can actually, you know, you can get these true north compasses that are different from your typical magnetic compass. It'll get you close. They have useful, you know, people can put them in their pocket and they're very useful. Uh, They're very inexpensive, but it's not the same as a compass that will take you directly to true north, which which is a fixed, absolute location or position on the globe. And so that's like God's word. And we have to be anchored to that, not shifting with the tides of society, culture, the way that magnetic north can be. And so I just want to encourage you this week to calibrate your moral compass, check yourself against God's word, and make sure that what you believe lines up with God's word. Have a blessed day. listening to today's podcast. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll be informed next time I post. Thank you again and have a blessed day.